0: Good morning, Park Hill. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, put this in my pocket. <laughs> um, yeah, it's such a beautiful, um, just a wonderful opportunity to be before you guys today uh, with family, and um, just to to hear what God wants to say to His people. Um, as Drew mentioned, my name is Tanika Wyatt. My husband and I are marriage and family pastors here at. Um, Park Hill, and it is, it's just a, our unique pleasure to, to serve you all and to do life with you, um, as people say, do life. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, but we are in week five of our future church series, teaching alongside um, sister churches in the city. Um, neighbor's church and light church and this is a teaching that was born out of the vision of friends of this ministry John Mark Comer who we'll see next week Um, and he's in Portland um, along with Dave Lomas in San Francisco so last week Evan spoke about a community of orthodoxy in a culture of ideological idolatry If you missed it, you gotta go back to the podcast or YouTube to listen because it was a powerful message. And the fact is our present church in America is very divided, unfortunately. The world is divided, yes, but even worse, the church has followed suit and we have allowed our ideologies, um, what we think about every agenda that takes center stage in the world to come between us, our political views, what we think about current events, the politician that we love or hate, uh, where we stand on today's issues. We tend to preach those things and post them on social media and discuss among our friends and family or anybody who will listen as if it's the gospel message. And we've allowed these things to consume and divide us. One of the final things that Jesus prayed before he left this earth was he prayed for unity. He prayed that we would be one. He knew that the church could not move forward divided, but for there to even be a future church, we would have to be one. So today we're talking about a community of peacemakers In a Culture of Political Polarization. Um, That's the official title in the Future Church series, but I want to specifically talk about hospitality in a hostile environment. And, um, And at the end of this message, we're going to pray with one another in response to what God is saying. But let's just pause and pray right now for a moment. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you, God, that with your presence comes this immense love. Um, You care for us so deeply and so richly, so well. Also with your presence comes healing, wisdom. And God, we just thank you that um, that you're delighted to be with us today. And God, I pray that you would just speak God, that your words would prevail, not my opinions and ideas, but that your words would prevail. God, that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would change us, that you would transform us. God, we want to look like you. We want to be like you. We want to do what you did as a man. And we just thank you for being with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So talking about hospitality in a hostile environment, we follow Jesus who was the most hospitable human ever. There was room at the table for everyone at Jesus's parties. Jesus was radically hospitable to the point where he didn't just welcome everyone in. He actually pursued them. He went after them to bring them to repentance and into the kingdom of God. The life he lived and the sermons he preached pursued the lost. So what is hospitality? And how do we know this is what Jesus desires for us? We're gonna go to the scriptures and um, actually look at the life of Jesus. Mark chapter two, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. And he, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, first of all, This isn't even Jesus's house, right? And he becomes the host. Um, And that's just how hospitable he he is. He has a way of making you feel right at home wherever he meets you, like you belong there. And so the Pharisees recognized this. They, They recognized him as host and said, why would he be eating with these people? The text tells us Jesus ate with sinners. Now, it's important to know that this was not a culture that recognized themselves as sinners. Now we understand, through Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And we consider ourselves, we know that we are all sinners. But back then, when they said sinners, it was code for the worst people in society. Those whose sins were on public display. And I'll just let you fill in the blanks of what you think those people are, who you, who you think they might be. Um, but tax collectors were also among them. And, and tax collectors were unwelcomed because they were not only employed by the Roman government, but basically they robbed their own people for their personal gain. They could inflate your tax and take whatever they wanted so long as Rome got their cut. So this is not your local IRS government worker. This is more like government endorsed mafia who could take whatever they wanted and they had the government's protection um, so that you were unprotected against them. These were the people that the sovereign Lord Our beautiful Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God that we sing about in worship. These are the people that he spent much of his time with. Let's look at another example in Luke chapter 19, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus was a call to radical transformation. Zacchaeus, also a tax collector, didn't just enjoy a meal with Jesus, he didn't just have a few drinks and a few laughs with Jesus, but being in the presence of our Savior and hearing Jesus preach and teach, he was compelled to give back what he had stolen and make things right. That's true repentance. That is what God is calling us to. When Jesus um, spends time with us, When when we are in his presence, he and ours, it is transformation that's happening. According to Luke 7, 34, Jesus came eating and drinking. This was Jesus' evangelism model. Eat a meal with strangers and those who are far off, off from God. Bring them close and pour out the Father's transforming love on them. He came to seek and save the lost. And this deep fellowship with people, not just his sermons, not just the fish and the loaves, not just the miracles, but it was this deep fellowship that drew people to him. And all through the New Testament disciples, we are commanded to follow his example through the practice of hospitality. Something as ordinary as setting a table to create space for people who are far from God to experience the Father's warm invitation into his family and say yes to him. And that even has application to us today as we gather on Sunday mornings. People um, are not going to just be won over by the message. They're not just going to be won over by the music or um, friends here, but people, need and want to be loved and embraced. It is our hospitality that invites people in and makes them feel welcomed enough to stay. The way we embrace one another is very, very important. And so in Mark chapter three, after we see Jesus eating at Levi's house, who by the way, most agree, Levi is actually Matthew, the apostle and writer of the gospel. We see as a result of Jesus' hospitality that people continue, crowds continue to follow him. And Jesus in this chapter picks from those crowds of people, in Mark chapter 3, he actually picks the 12 apostles, um, those apprentices who will follow him closely and be a part of his inner circle. And so among the list of these 12s are two people who could not be more opposed in their beliefs and practices. There's Matthew or Levi, who we just discussed. He was a tax collector for the Roman government, but also included in this list of apostles is Simon the Zealot. And he radically worked against the Roman government. Zealots were an ancient Jewish sect that violently resisted Rome, in order to establish Israel as a theocracy. They were known for carrying blades into crowds in a stealth-like manner, cutting the throats of Roman soldiers and Roman supporters, and then disappearing into the crowd. They were very violent. It was not a passive uh, resistance to the government. So no doubt these two would have been enemies yet jesus calls both of them to be brothers in the kingdom in the family of god he calls both of them to lay down their ideology and their little so- literal swords and follow him you see we have no issue with jesus being kind to sinners In our current worldview, we actually celebrate this. We love this about Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus until we realize the sinners that he ate with are people that we hate. He eats with our enemies, people we find weird or gross or worse, those who have robbed us, those who have mishandled us, those who have betrayed us or taken advantage of us. Those are the people, those filthy people that we wouldn't dare eat with ourselves. And on top of that, he now calls us to do the same. Jesus literally died to turn enemies into family. He makes peace. Matthew chapter five, verse nine says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Interestingly, the blessing right before is blessed are the pure in heart. And right after that, the blessing is blessed are those who are persecuted. So being a peacemaker requires both a pure heart and an openness to suffer, a willingness to suffer persecution for the sake of peace. Now understand that the call is not to keep the peace, but to make peace. Jesus was a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. There's a huge difference. A peacekeeper maintains the status quo even when the status quo is harmful. When injustice is the norm, a peacekeeper won't fight against injustice because it's disruptive. Their goal is to keep everyone quiet and not to ruffle feathers. A peacemaker interrupts chaos and brings order just as God did at the very beginning. Peacemakers bring enemies together at the table where there is no peace and work for repentance and reconciliation. They turn enemies into family just as Jesus did. There's a beautiful example of peacemaking in the story of Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. I don't know if you've heard of her, um, but I heard her story a few years ago on a podcast. She is, or she was, a far-left lesbian feminist and professor at Syracuse University with a specialty in postmodern critical theory. Very intelligent woman. She was writing a book on how Bible-believing Christians are the worst, okay? (laughs) And as part of her research, she actually needed to meet uh, some of these Bible-believing Christians. So in the process, she wrote a very derogatory editorial about the movement Promise Keepers. I don't know if you remember that. There was this huge gathering of men who had committed to keep their promises and covenant just as God did. And so she saw that and didn't think highly of it. And so she wrote about it in a newspaper. And so one pastor answered her or responded to her editorial with a gracious letter and an invitation to dinner since she needed to do research, she was like, well, why not? I have to meet some of them anyway, might as well get food out of it. And so this pastor, rather than begin a war in the press, instead of defending the promise keepers movement and defending all Christians, instead he actually invites her to dinner. Her life was forever changed, one meal at a time, by this pastor and his family. They took an enemy and made her a friend. And so she says in her book, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. And her book is called, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. How many of us have attached a house key, an open invitation to the gospel message that we preach? How many of us have opened up our doors, our home doors, our car doors, have opened up ourselves? to be available to people, to spend time with people. It makes a difference in a world of isolation, in a world of division and divisiveness. It makes a difference when we show authentic love of Jesus through hospitality. And so, and by the way, Rosaria Butterfield now pastors alongside her husband and they do just such wonderful work in the kingdom of God and that started with a meal. So I wanna give you just a few scriptures for you to write down, Um, and they all command hospitality as as a virtue of following Jesus. The first is Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Also, there's Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. You can write that down as well. So being hospitable as the word commands and as Jesus did, requires submission and obedience to the Father to do oftentimes what is unnatural for us. Hospitality is not simply uh, inviting a bunch of your friends over and making sure there's enough food and enough drinks and enough laughs for everybody to have a good time. Although that's wonderful, please feel free to invite me. I would love to do that. Um, But hospitality actually incorporates inconvenience and going after the least likely dinner guest, the one you are opposed to, the one who causes your just something about conversations with them just disrupt your peace because they are so against And, and not those friendly debates. Some of us are entertained by debates, and and we love that. We welcome those kinds of conversations. But but not that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those who are against you, your enemies, making room for your enemies. And those who are least likely. Let's look at Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14. Verse 12 through 14, then Jesus said to his host, now he's at a dinner party right now and he actually checks the person who is hosting and he says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, it sounds like Jesus doesn't want us to have fun with our friends. What is that about? (laughs) But that's not at all what he's saying. What he's talking about is eternal Um, that has those things that have eternal lasting weights of glory, those things that only God can repay you for. So not just spending time with people who, you know, you pick up the tab this time, they pick up the tab next time. Um, you guys watch the same movies, you love the same jokes and you listen to the same music, not just those things that are convenient and comfortable for us, but God is calling us outside of those comfortable things stretching us so that we give to the point where we're not expecting repayment, so that we give to the point where only God can repay, where it's not a potluck and and somebody has to write their name down on the list to give enchiladas. They have nothing to give, but yet they're welcome anyway. Jesus went on to share in Luke chapter 14, He went on to share a parable that directly applied to the dinner party where he was. Jesus is urging us to go after the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. People who cannot repay you for your kindness. People who otherwise would be left out of the kingdom. And he ends by saying, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now I grew up on King James Version and it said, go out into the hedges and highways. And I don't even know what that means, but I just love it because it sounds like the low places, the alleyways, you know, that's what God is calling us to. Hospitality makes room for everyone. Now you may be asking, you know, okay, this sounds really good. I see what Jesus is doing, you know, but but what is he calling me to do? What am I supposed to do in my context with my income, my experiences, my influence, my resources, um, I might be roomating with other college roommates or, or not have a place on my own. W- what am I supposed to do? How do I show hospitality where I am in my own skin? What does hospitality practically look like? Well, it looks pretty much the same as it did in Jesus's day. Remember, there's a scripture that says he had no place to lay his head. Many times he is hosting at other people's houses and places, and he he seizes opportunities just to be with people. You don't have to wait until you have this huge house and all of these resources and you're able to throw a big party. That's not what God is asking. Right where you are with what you have, God is calling you, calling us to show love that stretches us, that is uncomfortable and inconvenient. And so it looks the same, sharing meals with strangers, cooking dinner for someone else, inviting people over to your literal table who don't look like you, who don't vote like you and be willing to step into their spaces as well. It may smell a little different. The food may look a little different. The music may be a little off. It might, you know what I'm saying, those practical things that that might deter us. Places we wouldn't normally go and just chill and hang. God is asking us to go and be with people. And I realize we are in a COVID era of social distancing. And some of you may be cringing at my recommendations with or without COVID, eating with strangers just sounds weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but but this is what Jesus did. And the reality is, it's not gonna always be like this. We cannot get used to this. We should not get used to being distant from one another. Social distance is not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom happens up close and personal. It gets dirty and it gets messy. And still we are committed to one another in love and in hospitality. And so when Evan asked me to speak on hospitality in this future church series, I thought, sure, I could do that. I love making people feel warm and welcomed. Um, I want everybody to enjoy themselves. You know, we sort of have this hospitality thing down. We know our neighbors. We have opened up our home to people in need. And we've even on occasion brought strangers in. And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. But God has a way of revealing parts of you that you have not completely surrendered to him. God has a way of revealing parts of me that I have not completely surrendered to him and I had no idea that he wanted to challenge me in an area where I thought I was okay. So let me bring you into what God has been doing um, in me over the last several weeks. As we speak of a polarized political climate, You know, if you want to have a heated conversation, just bring up mask and vaccinations, right? Um, Just ask anybody how how they feel. You typically won't just get an opinion, but you actually get judgment against the opposing view. We point fingers at one another and we judge very harshly, even in the body, About our brothers and sisters we accuse them of being weak and fearful or being selfish and unkind and so this is among the family of God about whom Jesus said they will know you are my disciples because you have love for one another so we have missed the mark here We hold up either side with great conviction as if there's a Bible verse that says, Thou shalt or thou shalt not. And so here's my personal opinion. It doesn't mean anything. I'm just providing it for context. I don't want to sway you one way or the other. Okay? But I'm, I'm happy that there's a vaccine available for people who want or need it. I work in healthcare and our hospitals have felt the effects of coronavirus and seen what it has done to communities. And I know two people personally who I love that have passed away from coronavirus. One of them with no preexisting conditions. It happened very quickly. And we were all very devastated. It made no sense. So I, I understand the impact of the pandemic. So if a vaccine is available and can help, then praise God, that sounds good to me. You know, however, I don't want it. Personally, I don't want to be vaccinated. I don't always trust government and systems, and I would rather trust God with my health. He has kept me always, and I understand that my days are numbered and my eternity is set. So I have no reason to fear. That's, that's my personal opinion, okay? And so, as I mentioned, I work in health care. And we all know the mandate, especially in California, placed on healthcare workers to get vaccinated. So, as a good, strong believer, I put in my declination requests. I'm not doing it. (laughs) And that's what I did. I I put in uh, my request to my company and was prepared to stand my ground and deal with the consequences Again, trusting God to take care of me, regardless of what happens, to care for me and my family. And so I can already feel the judgment. Um, I know some of you are appalled. How dare you walk around here unmasked and unvaccinated, breathing on us. (laughs) Some of you, um, earlier that's why people online they're like that's why I don't come to church that's why I'm online now and I'm so sorry if my stance offends you and I hope it does not cause a wedge between us and the family I hope you're gracious with me as I'm transparent and I just tell my side of this story And on the other hand, I know that some of you are cheering me on. You're like, yes. Why aren't more Christians taking a stand against this pandemic and these mandates? We have our rights. And so I realize that we are far right, far left, somewhere in between. We have very different opinions about this. And so last month, I had an opportunity to minister, my husband and I, to visit with a family that we really love and we wanted to be with them um, in their time of grief. Um, But one of them is elderly and she had just gone through a very difficult illness. The other uh, was very compromised with her health as well. And so they needed us to be vaccinated. But we weren't, so we couldn't. And so I was bummed a little bit, but I thought, you know, God will send somebody else. It's okay, we'll, we'll pray for them, we'll send them a meal, and God's gonna do the rest. He, it's him doing the work anyway, right? He doesn't need us, we don't have to be there. God will send whoever they need. And so fast forward a little bit, in a conversation with a friend over this mandate, because we both work for the same organization, She's a Christian as well. And so we're talking and as I'm talking to her, I became convicted, not because I wasn't vaccinated, but I became convicted because I realized I had not consulted God about my decision. I had not given this to him. I just did what made sense to me and I expected him to back me up. I'm not doing this and God, you're gonna fight for me. You're going to provide for me and that's, and that's that. And I'm doing it with the banner of Jesus over my decision. But the reality was I didn't even ask him. I just did what I thought worked for me. And so as I begin to open up my heart and ask God about what he required of me. Not the world, not whether it's right, wrong, or conspiracies, not all of those things. But God, what do you require of me? What are you asking me to do in this situation? There was too much at stake for me to just assume I'm walking in the wheel of God. I wanted to be certain. And so God began impressing on me more and more about the ministry of hospitality. This picture of Luke chapter 14, how he's called us not just to stay in the church and create this beautiful environment so that people just wanna come in, but to actually go out and compel men to come, to get people and bring them into the church, to go to the lowest to the alleyways, to the trenches of life, and compel others to come into the kingdom. And so we started to feel this weight and this burden of God's call. And I heard God asking, are you willing to lay down your personal freedoms for the work of the kingdom? Are you willing to do what is uncomfortable to do what does not feel right for you personally, for the sake of another. And so he took me to Acts chapter chapter 16, where Timothy, whose father was a Greek man. Let me get that right, because I was corrected last service. (laughs) Yes, Timothy was a Jew, but his father was Greek. And so Timothy was not circumcised. And Timothy was going with Paul, he was accompanying Paul on a journey to minister to the Jews. And so in Acts chapter chapter 16, Timothy, in order to effectively minister to the Jews, he became circumcised. Now, circumcised, not a shot in the arm His sensitive parts were cut and he's a grown man. We can, we can, you know, make sense of babies. Like they'll, they don't know. They won't remember, you know, it's okay. Nobody here remembers their circumcision. I don't think. (laughs) But Timothy Timothy is an adult man and he is going to minister to the Jews and so in order to be able to to be a proper witness to them, to be able to win them, he becomes circumcised. Now what you have to understand is right before this in Acts chapter 15, the, the apostles address circumcision and they make it clear that Gentiles have no need for circumcision. They make it clear that circumcision was a burden and a weight that even the Jews could not carry. And so to impose that on Gentile believers made no sense. And so they, they said, this, that's not necessary. So Timothy could have exercised his personal right and freedom and said, but God has revealed something different. I'm not getting circumcised. Paul if it's so important to them, you, you go. Send somebody else. Send somebody who's already circumcised. I'm a grown man. But rather than promote his personal rights and freedoms, rather than assert his new freedom in Christ, Timothy submitted himself to what was best at that time. And I have to believe that he was being led by the spirit because that's not just a decision you come to on your own. Because it doesn't make sense in the flesh. So Timothy being led by the spirit, counseled by Paul, he submitted himself to circumcision. So as I read these scriptures, and understood what God was calling me to, so graciously, I began to say, yes, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. God, your work is more important to me. Those people are more important to me. Access is more important to me. Than getting pats on the back from my conservative Christian friends. Obeying you is more important to me than putting a stake in the ground just to fight against companies and the man. God, you are more important to me. And I will lay down my personal rights and freedoms. So that next business day, this was on a Saturday, and so Monday morning, first thing before work, I showed up, my husband and I, we showed up to the medical office to get our vaccination, our first dose. I didn't want to waste time being obedient. When God speaks to you, listen to him and obey. Don't talk yourself out of what God is doing. Don't try and justify your actions or consort with other people who think the same way that you do. When God is speaking, when he's moving, listen to him and obey quickly. Obey him. There are things at stake here that are so much bigger than our personal rights and freedoms. And yes, obviously I'm an advocate for personal rights and freedoms. You, you just heard what <laughs> my whole stance about this thing. But God was so hospitable, even in his, even in his um, just dealing with me. I didn't feel him yelling at me. He didn't shame me. I felt the spirit saying, I know this is hard for you. I know that this is not something you wanted to do, but can you trust me? The same trust you put in me without the vaccine, can you trust me with the vaccine? Can you trust me to use you and to take you to places and to speak my words through you, to use your hands to be my mouthpiece. Can you trust me with the work that I've called you to do? And so yes, the answer is yes. And even now as God speaks to us, he does so lovingly and gently and with hospitality, this gracious invitation he gives us to do things his way, to act in love and to make peace, to bring others into the kingdom for a feast that that unifies all colors, all ethnic groups, all languages, all political parties, the masked and the unmasked, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. We who follow Jesus are here at this table, not because he waited for us to realize that following him is a good idea, but because he actually went out to the lowest places and he compelled us. In fact, he came to the very lowest place. God left his throne in glory and he put on a robe of flesh and he came low. He came down low and he met us where we are. And he also was pricked, he also was cut, he also bled. Jesus died for the sake of enemies while we were yet sinners. He died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. He is our ultimate example. And so now, because of what he has done, we all now have access. We have access to the table. We have access to the throne when we say yes to him. When we say yes to him, yes to his call, and so if we look further into Luke chapter 14, not everybody responded with a yes. Verses 17 through 19, sorry, 17 through 20 read, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. One by one, these guests to the table made excuses. And they seem like valid excuses right they seem pretty reasonable except this is not just another invitation to another party by another host this is God it is a type of the kingdom inviting people into his house and he says bring in everyone from the lowest places I want my house to be full it's a picture of the kingdom and the master inviting everyone. But some of us are more concerned about making a name for ourselves. Some of us are more concerned about the relationships we already have and we don't wanna jeopardize. Some of us are more concerned about our own plans than what God has for us, this invitation to the kingdom and to his table. James chapter three, verses 17 and 18 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest. Of righteousness, A harvest of righteousness. Again, Jesus is trying to get us to the point where we're not looking for payment down here. We're not looking for reciprocity here. I pay for you, you pay for me, we're friends, let's have a great time. Those things are wonderful, but when it comes to the kingdom, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And this message is not about masks and vaccinations. I hope you're not confused at all. It, It is about being hospitable and being peacemakers in a time when the world is incredibly chaotic and people are alone and isolated. This message is an invitation for you to examine yourselves. I cannot do that for you. Maybe the mask and vaccine story, maybe that doesn't resonate with you at all. Maybe that's not an issue for you. But as we examine ourselves, God, what are we holding back from you? What has caused us not to be all in? Where have we put up walls rather than letting others in? Where have we settled for keeping the peace instead of being a peacemaker? And maybe you find yourself responding just like those in the verses we just read in Luke chapter 14. Maybe you have your own plans, your own ideas. Or maybe you just haven't said yes to Jesus yourself, so you can't invite anybody else in at the moment. There's room for you at the table, there is room for your yes. And so I want to lead us in a time of confession. Can everybody please stand? We're going to get into groups of two or three, just a few of us, just intimate enough to be able to confess what have we been holding out? What walls have we erected and and won't tear down? They've been difficult to move. Um, You know where you can extend yourself and do better with hospitality and practice the ways of Jesus? What is God calling you to relinquish to him? So I'm gonna pray for us and then ask that you in your groups just confess to one another and pray for one another.